1: Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. I'm the founder and the senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building across from Wikis. We also are very fortunate, especially this time of year, to be able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like to put a voice with a face, you can go to ellenbecker.com com my guest today is dr Sadam hubbies and yes. she is a mom of two she is also a new york city neuropsychologist and i've asked her to be on the show today because i've been talking with so many schools in our area and every one of them has this feeling of building trust and how do we build trust back after so many of these unfortunate circumstances have happened in our schools, some of the mass shootings. And I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to talk to someone who can give us some pointers and some tips as to how we can really approach the subject with our children and even for ourselves. And so, Dr., Tell us how you got into doing this, how it became a priority. I know you have two children and mm-hmm. some of the ideas that, you know, that, you know, I think by talking to different people was kind of going on in our hearts and our heads.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I had this interview with another outlet, a news channel, I forget where, right after the last mass shooting. And honestly, I lose track of them. Um, And I said, you know, I can't imagine that there is a parent out there, no matter which side of gun control or wherever you are, whose heart is not in their mouth every now and then when they hear a shooting or they just get a a reminder of what is possible. If they have a child in school, I mean, I can honestly tell you I've been at the movies and had a paranoid moment where I've looked at exits. I have, you know, as, as a pretty rational, normal adult so I think children who are so much less experienced than we are, who don't have all the coping strategies that we've developed over our lifetime, children who, you know, have founded and unfounded fears, how are they supposed to deal with this information coming at them? And the problem is, you know, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, when most of us listening were kids, we either didn't hear about a lot of this stuff, A, it wasn't happening as much. And if you did, your parents read it in a newspaper and shielded you these kids are able to see everything. They go online, they can read and see everything on TikTok, on Snapchat, on Instagram. They don't even have to go far. So I, I think I, I am a neuropsychologist. I have a doctorate in psychology. I'm um, a school psychologist as well. And my practice, I would say is probably more 50-50 now, like 50% adults, 50% children. It used to be more children. And, and over the last couple of years, I feel a lot of the adults have also kind of come into the fray, but um you know, it's impossible for me not to get drawn into current events. It's impossible for me not to address things like social media, um, you know, domestic violence, gun violence, sexual abuse, trauma. So I really kind of end up everywhere. But my real forte is assessments, diagnoses, and recommendations to both the 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 patients, the parents, the children, the schools.
1: What hearing. Uh, I know that I talked to Jack, uh, another psychologist just recently, and he said when he's working with his clients, it's what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? And there's so much fear in just this um, trauma of what if, what if.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, anxiety feeds on what ifs, right? That's
1: the thing. Now, yes,
0: as horrible as school shootings are, the majority of our children go to school safely and come home safely. It's the same exact thing as people getting on a plane and safely getting off a plane. But try telling that to someone who's got a phobia of flights or flying. So that's the thing about anxiety. It's the unknown. It's the what-ifs. And really, who can predict? When it comes to mass shootings, who can predict? They happen at FedEx centers. They happen at grocery stores. They happen in movie theaters. They happen at concerts. They happen in schools. And it just sounds, you know, like we can't get a hold of this. It it runs away from us. So the unknown factor, which is what anxiety thrives and fuels on is rampant when it comes to mass shootings, because it can literally be anywhere, anytime anyone can do it. There isn't even necessarily, you know, we have some profiles, but there isn't even necessarily a race or, you know, we usually saw younger disturbed or, or upset or angry white kids with guns, but we had the two shootings out in California that were two different Asian people, an older man who was 70 years old and a younger man. So sometimes it's hard to say, well, can you really peg? Yes, there is a profile. The FBI has a profile. Psychologists have a profile, but the unknown factor is really rife when it comes to mass shootings.
1: What are some of the things that parents can consider when when they're in their own fear and i've visited uh like 12 different schools in the last month and a half and not one of them has they have security guards at the door but not one of them has a way of going through a detector or any of that it's too costly the schools are struggling already it's yeah. almost impossible for them to try and get that type of equipment into their schools so i i'm the
0: guest here tell me what else you found i'm very curious you went into these schools to find out about
1: um, what their
0: plan was, a plan of action was. And where was this? Can you tell me where?
1: In Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was really really working with the schools and looking at parent engagement. And Mm -hmm. one of the things when I walked into the school, there would be a security guard there. And I'd ask, what are you doing in terms of the school, in terms of you know, a disaster plan and they all have been working and putting disaster plans, but they do not have the financial resources to put in anything more than that. And one of the things that the schools are struggling with is parent engagement, the parents getting them into the school and, Mm -hmm. you know, in there for teachers' conferences, in there for different school activities. And there is a trust factor, first of all, with the teachers and with the parents and the students being afraid of the what if.
0: Of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and you know, when a school, I'm very fortunate. A, I'm in New York City, and I always say, like, knock on wood, I don't ever want to jinx it, but I'm very New York proud, extremely New York proud. And I I find that a lot of our funding goes toward a lot of things that we don't struggle with as much as the rest as rest of America does. Now, you can also argue New York gets a lot of money, right? But it's also the way I think it's funded. For instance, you know, we are a city of 8 million people and rarely will you see a video um, even about, I I was on a call about uh, police brutality on a case in Washington state. And I ended up saying, we're a city, much, much bigger city than Seattle or this other smaller town, Auburn, that I was speaking about, um, uh, the police department. I said, how often do we even hear anything coming out of the city? So I was having a conversation with, um, I I was talking about how proud I am of of being a New Yorker, and I'm also proud of the policies that we have. Um, And I also understand that we're privileged because New York gets a lot of funding and New York is a wealthier state than most. But, you know, even when it comes to police cases, police brutality, I do evaluations for the NYPD. I do evaluations directly for them. I do them for the FDNY. I do them for the corrections department. I also do appeals cases. So let's say... Excuse me, you applied to NYPD and you failed their psychological. Which, by the way, is their the greatest way that they weed out people is psychologicals, because you can go to the gym and buff up and be medically and physically fit, right? But the way they really weed people out is by the psychological evaluations. So you have the right to appeal their decision, and if. Some people just don't know how to take no for an answer. The NYPD does a fantastic job at psychological evaluations. I get them because if you came to me, I can I can write to NYPD or they actually have to, by law, have to let NYPD know we're going to appeal your decision by going to a different psychologist or neuropsychologist. And I am allowed to request NYPD's own assessment. And I kid you not, a packet shows up this fact this of the evaluation that they've done and nine out of 10 times I find in favor of NYPD. So I always say, you know, this isn't about necessarily people, it's about your process. If you do the, the your due diligence of sorting out viable, suitable, psychologically fit candidates, you're not gonna, you're, you're less likely to hand a gun to someone who's unfit. The same thing goes for schools, you know, There is obviously more access to mental health services because we're a big city. Maybe there's a little bit of a protective factor in the way New Yorkers are generally just really aware, just really um, vigilant about their surroundings. But we don't have, again, don't want to jinx it, we don't have school shootings. My own children go to a private school, albeit it's not a public school, and it's close to my office. So I have, and they're very young, I have twin boys, they're seven, they're going to be eight this month. Um, in March, I don't know, are we in March yet? No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> February always throws me off. You know, I have a lot of comfort in the fact that I can I can run there and be there in 30 seconds or two minutes or whatever, you know, which is a huge comfort as a mom. But the school also sends out plans, you know, whenever something happens. I remember there was an incident outside the school where a, a, someone with a gun was apprehended and the school immediately went on lockdown We got an email and and phone calls prompting us, letting us know the children are safe. Don't worry, we've locked everything down. You know, a lot of public schools don't have that kind of luxury, but and it was still terrifying. And nothing happened. Whoever it was had nothing to do with the school. It was just someone who was apprehended close to the school. But it was terrifying. And when you know that the school has a plan in place, the teachers are trained, there are exit, they do fire drills or shooting drills. As terrible as that sounds, that is the only way to prepare you and the children. Now, of course, that's going to bring up feelings of fear and insecurity in the children. And I always say to parents, I do, you, your question was, do I see this and hear this in my practice? All the time. I see, I, I, you know, in some ways the pandemic has really broken people. Anxiety is through the roof for many, many different reasons. Social anxiety, just anxiety in general. No one wanted to return to, I mean, people I saw. People don't wanna to return to school people didn't want to return to work, people were afraid of their own shadow. Um, Of course, these are people, these are folks that probably would have suffered or or struggled anyway. I think the pandemic really sort of shifted their gears, and they don't know how to get back into the real world. But I I see and hear a lot of anxiety. And the what ifs is always, you know, like I said, that's how anxiety thrives. And when I do hear about, um, you know, mass shootings, Usually it's someone who's perseverating on it, as someone who's struggling with anxiety, someone who has clinical anxiety because the rest of us, sadly, have become somewhat desensitized to mass shootings. You know, we kind of hear it and it's like, oh, another one? I mean, how sad is that? We don't, we don't even stop long enough. I can't even tell you the last one that happened. You know, the one in Uvale, Texas, I think that was a pretty horrible one. But then there was another one at the University of Michigan It's hard to keep up. And I I pay attention. You know, I read the paper. I keep up with the news. I talk about this on interviews. So I always say that when dealing with children, one of the most important things is for families, parents, teachers to first have a real honest conversation with themselves, with the co-parent, with other teachers They need to have a a plan. They need to first sort out their own feelings about it because the thing that the children pick up on the most are your fears. They absorb your distress. They absorb your tension, even when you're not saying it. You know, if they see you stiffen up or they see you, you know, giving your husband, wife, sister, brother, friend a look, every time that happens, your kids are looking at that. They're watching you. And what they're really, they're internalizing that.
1: It reminds me of a dog that my daughter had that had been abused, and every time something happened, he would go put his head underneath the bed, but his butt would stick out, <laughs> and he thought he was hiding, and I think parents are a lot like that. They they think that that no one can tell. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, maybe you could give some pointers to parents because teachers can... Conv- Teachers' conferences are coming up, and how they can have that conversation with their uh, with their students and with the parents that are coming in. With that, we'll be right back. <music> Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Becker. I am the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. My <laughs> guest today is Dr. Sanam Hafiz, and she is a neuropsychologist in New York City. And we're talking about some of the things that have been happening in our world that have been making, you know, many people cautious. They've been causing anxiety. And we were talking before the break that our kids do pick up on our anxiety, even though we don't think so. And I'm wondering... What are some of the things that parents can maybe initiate that conversation with their teachers and with their children that would give them a sense of, I don't know, I don't want to say predictability for sure, but a sense of um, that, that there is a process in place. So, I mean, I think I always say that teachers are
0: your first line of defense for a lot of things. You know, if your child is struggling, I always say to parents, unless something really devastating is going on, if you're picking up on signs of anything, talk to the teachers because they are watching your child for a big part of the day, you know, eight to two, three, whatever amount of time. And they can give you a lot of insight to how your kid interacts with other children, how he or she responds to things, if he or she is looking out the window, if they well (laughs) up very easily. And I so I think that people often miss the real first lines of defense. And even when it comes to school shootings, I've always said, when teachers are trained to pay attention, they can pick up on signs and say, look, I don't want to, to you know, ring any alarm bells, but maybe this kid needs someone professional to talk to them, right? Like who else is supposed to make that referral? So I think even from the preventive measure, I think if we just added A training and I maybe in some school departments there is a training, but this there's some things that I truly think Karen need to be federal. Some things just need to have a federal guideline to them. Mm -hmm. You know, police training very strongly feel there needs to be, you can't say, well, this town gets less funding, so they don't need it. No, some things just need to be mandated because we no longer live in the world from even 10 or 12 years ago. You know, I, I feel the same thing goes for teacher training. When I became a school psychologist, which was one of the first certificates I got before I became a psychologist. You can become a school psychologist with a master's degree and you get certified. And then I went on to finish my doctorate and got a license in psychology. And this was almost 20 years ago at this point. Um, I had to take a few mandated classes and seminars and workshops, and I had to be certified. One of them, for instance, was child abuse. That still exists. there were a couple of other things uh sensitivity cultural sensitivity trainings and whatnot now mind you this was 20 years ago i honestly think that teachers really then teachers are going to say well we've got enough on our plate but I <laughs> exactly think, right they're so exhausted everywhere teachers are so burnt out um but they're going to say well i you know don't i already have enough to do but i think training to say what are some signs to look out for in a disturbed child? What are some signs to look out for when you're seeing a child who has um, you know, depression, anxiety, withdrawal, um, who's writing things that might be perceived as aggressive or suicidal or homicidal. They're drawing pictures that are fearful. They're talking about having a gun in the home that um, may not be locked up or what, what have you. If a child is also perseverating on guns, that's a problem, right? So teachers from the preventing preventive aspect ha- can do a tremendous amount just by making that referral. The problem is they often don't know who to even make that referral to, even if they are concerned. You know, they can tell a parent, hey, take them to a psychologist. A parent's going to turn around and go, I don't have time. I don't have money. I can't find anyone. The school might turn around and say, no, we're too busy doing evaluations for... You know, special education, we we don't have a psychologist who can talk to them. So a big part of the problem is just not having the resources to refer people to. Now, when it comes to teachers talking to parents and vice versa, I think it's very important for teachers to have some support from their administration to say, okay, a parent might bring it up. What is your guideline? What is your plan? If there was an active shooter in the building, are you trained? Have you been told which exits to take? Have you been trained how to lock the door and hide under the desks? how, what are you, do you have a a big microphone system that alerts the entire school? Do you have guards in place? Do you have cameras in place? A lot of parents don't even know this stuff. Someone has to give them this information. And if the teachers are floundering, can you imagine how that parent's going to leave that parent-teacher conference feeling completely uninformed, unprotected, that I'm sending my kid to a school where the teacher has no idea what to do? And you know, the burden is really not on the teachers. It's really on the administration. The school administration needs to provide this training on whatever level they can to a teacher so they have the information to discuss with the parents should they ask. And they should know. Teachers should know what to do. I mean, teachers have lives too. They have families as well. Most teachers have, you know, spouses and children at home. So this is not just about protecting the children. I mean, how many times have we seen teachers dying in, in these schools as well? Right. It's like you're sending these teachers out to schools as if we the way we send out police officers, you know, with a risk to their life every day. So, I mean, you know, I can I can talk about this. It's a very. Unfortunately, depressing topic because thoughts and prayers just aren't cutting it anymore. And it's just very difficult to just keep talking about something that no one seems to be doing anything about.
1: Well, and I think it is a real Um, struggle for teachers they have so much on their plates now the whole idea with what with COVID has set students and teachers and classrooms and backwards I mean and they're trying to catch up and add all this on to their plates but yet I do believe you're right it has to come from the administration it's got to come from the board it has to um, something has to be directed down to the teachers to give them that that feeling that they're okay and building that trust with that parent Yeah. and Information is, you know, knowledge is power. If you have
0: a plan A, B and C, you know, it makes you feel, okay, we've got a plan. Yes, we can predict everything, but we've got a plan. We've seen in a lot of these shootings. Do you remember the shooting where the the shooter knocked on a teacher's room, classroom, and pretended to be the marshal? No. Do you recall this? I don't. And so the story read, this is recent, this is in recent, recent times. Um, It may have been Yuval, it may have been another school. And he said, yo, this is the marshal. Open up and made like a nice husky, loud, manly voice. And one of the kids said, a marshal wouldn't say yo. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so when you're panicked, and you think there's help at the door, you could open it. But this teacher and the kids were smart enough to say, that's not the marshal, don't open the door. And that literally saved a lot of lives. Yes. You know, so I mean, common sense is, unfortunately, and in, in, uh, not always in great supply to begin with. But when you're under duress, it's even under, you know, lesser uh, supply.
1: Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about some of the things that you've said to pay attention to. You talked about letting, being aware, parents being aware that their kids have access to all this information Mm -hmm. and not keeping it like an elephant in the, in the room and not talking about it, you know, start to, start to break it up and to talk to parents. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk again about some of the issues that parents can, um, talk about with their, with their child. I am the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group, and you might be sitting back and wondering, did I get the right show on here? Why is she, with as a financial advisor, why is she talking about the issues that parents are facing with their kids, teachers are facing in in the event that we've had these mass shootings. And really, when you think about it, there's nothing more important than our children. There's nothing more important than our schools. There's nothing more important for my business. We have 50 plus employees. And when we look at our parents, and there are our parents, they're our employees, they're worried about their students, they're worried about their children, they're worried about their community, and it has an impact on our business if they're feeling that anxiety and the anguish over worrying about what's going on. And, you know, I have to tell you, Sunam, um, we have a, now it will be shortly, full-time um, social worker, psychologist, she is a psychologist, what is the MSW, no, that's a social worker. The Master social is- worker. The master's in the, in social working. And she's full-time with us now with our that's employees. Amazing. They, that's they have amazing. access to her every single day. If they come in and there's been a, a, a something happening, it's just, they call it coffee. They can come in, sit down and talk with her. And just, it relaxes them. It helps them. I feel. love that. And I love it that. has made a huge difference in our business. And it's not about the bottom line of what this is it's about the bottom line of our employees feeling safe feeling comfortable and being able to deal with the issues that they're facing on a day-to-day basis with with their children but what are some of the things that parents can consider start to think about when they're off to work and they're sending their children to school how can they bring that together how can they knit that relationship with their children and their school and their community with themselves
0: well, first, I have to applaud you on bringing um, a therapist, a social worker on board, because I think, you know, we, we've, we've seen studies come out of countries and big companies that have implemented that, and the change in productivity alone is substantial. Uh, one of my dearest friends, closest friends, happens to be a financial advisor like yourself. She's in New York City. She was um She's been with big groups like Guardian and Barnum Financial and you know some of these big names. And for the longest time, because her company makes enough money and, and they need them to make enough money, they had a life coach. And she loved her hour with this person every week. Um, So I, I, so I have to say, I think, I think it's a fantastic investment in your own business. And it's very impressive, whatever you're doing with 50 employees (laughs) and bringing on a social worker and you've, you've got your finger on the pulse. I mean, I I think it's, I own a a small business. I have about 12 to 13 employees full time and um, I am a psychologist. So I try to implement a lot of the things that I truly believe in to create a culture of, you know, an open door policy, a culture of. Uh, respect, which is, you know, I always say it's a non-negotiable and, um, you know, I'm because I'm a small business, I, I offer things that, you know, if, if someone's child is sick, I'll offer them makeup hours. I don't penalize, you know, for, for family leave. I mean, we also have laws in New York that protect them, but I go above and beyond. And I, I think it makes a huge difference when people come into the office and, and feel that they're respected and valued there. And it's not just about earning a paycheck. So- I love hearing that. You know, psychology is everywhere. You can't, you human, without you know understanding the human condition, it's hard to
1: be successful. Do you know, once, in fact, it was Jill Butterfield that had said this to me, who is now with us. She's, I was talking to her about it and she said, Karen, sick people don't really come to me. It's people who are well, who want to be healthy and be healthier. Longer. And there was, there was the st- stigma about going to, know any kind of therapy or anything and she said oh no that's totally the people who come to me are the people who are healthy and want to be better and and want to live in a world better and interact better and i thought that was the most wonderful statement because i do remember when i was going and i will say this on the air um, i was going to a therapist after i got divorced and my mother said do you only talk about me? Is it all about me? And, <laughs> and I said, mom, it's not about you at all. It's about me. <laughs> yeah. But
0: trust mothers to think it's all about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's amazing. And um, it's incredible. You know, I, I don't want to veer too much. I can talk about this stuff forever. But I will tell you this, that I think parents for the forever and ever and ever always think that if they don't talk about something, it's not happening. Your children are, believe me when I tell you this, and when I say this to you, I mean to your listeners, to your viewers, your children know so much more than you think they know. Think back to when you were kids and your parents thought you didn't know anything and you knew everything. You just didn't speak about it because children have a keen understanding of what's considered taboo. And they, you know, because I tell people, you are your child's entire world. They see the world through your eyes. Everything that happens to you, that you do, influences and impacts them. It's their job to know you better than you know them. It's their job because their survival depends on it. My mom gets like this when so-and-so calls. My, my dad acts like this when he reads this in the paper. Mom doesn't like this. Dad doesn't like that. They start keeping a Rolodex even before they can speak of what their parents like, don't like, what they are sensitive to. They avoid certain topics because, you know, children don't like it when their parents are distressed or or they argue. So they protect their parents from their own feelings, from the parents' own feelings. And they say, what can I, you know, this is why children will start talking nonsense when mom and dad are fighting. Or they start like, you know, a lot of gibberish starts coming out because they want to distract you from something that might be upsetting you. I remember being a kid, watching my dad talk about his mom and he would choke up and tear up and well up. And I, I hated it. I would do everything not to bring up his mom because I didn't like how my dad looked when he, you know, I that saw him feeling. As this, like, yeah, he, it he was this big, powerful man to me. And he, I, I did not like him looking weak. There was no weakness in it. He just missed his mom, you know, but I didn't like it. and And I remember being so little, like three, four years old and recognizing that. So children are so much more aware. You know, I've had conversations with my my boys who are just eight about emerging, like just kind of touching the topic of, you know, um, racism, of police brutality, of uh, homosexuality, of gender identity. And I will just skim the surface to see what happens. And the stuff that comes out of their mouth, I go, how, how did they know that? And had I not said anything, I wouldn't have known that they know that. And my kids, because they're they belong to a a psychologist for a mom, actually don't have access to um, iPads, iPhones, but they go to school. They're smart kids. They talk to other children when they go see their dad. I'm divorced. They see their um, their dad on alternate weekends. They do have access to an iPad. So, and then they're they're curious children. Curious children will always find the information. So I give them the respect of not hiding. I I don't want to be the dog that your daughter had. So (laughs) I don't stick my head in the sand. I try to say, tell me what you think. And I, I get them to speak about it. And when I've listened really carefully, then I will say whatever I have to say about that. But it's also because I am very clear on how I feel about these topics. So when I speak to them, I try to keep it factual. I try to keep it devoid of my own feelings. I don't try to influence or color their thoughts it's going to happen anyway. You know, that's a kind of, a, it's a fallacy to think that your kids aren't going to pick up on how you feel, what's what side of, you know, the fence you're on. But when you speak to them, you should try to give them just facts. And that includes about gun violence and say, look, you've gone to school, you know, 280 days this year. Do so you went to school 280 days the year before, 280 days the year before. That's a lot of days no one's ever brought a gun to school, nothing has ever happened. So the chances of something happening, statistically, depending on how old your children are, how bright they are, how cognitively capable they are, the number of events, statistically, are very, very small. However, you should always be prepared. It's the same thing as, you know, if you don't wear your seatbelt, you're going to get hurt if a car hits you, if you get into a car accident. So you should have a plan. And if your school has a plan, Remember that drill. You know, parents are allowed to tell their children, I don't care what the school says. Hide under your desk. I don't care what, you know, parents can can tell their children things that worry them. If you have a phone, immediately call me. Use your common sense. You know, stay in a big crowd. Always protect. You know, I tell my kids because I've twins that are in the same class. I go, your only responsibility is to yourself and your brother. You get your brother, (laughs) you get the hell out of there, you know. I tell them that for everything I go your only responsibility is you and your brother because I sometimes worry that children can get distracted by you know peers even when they're like playing I go look out for your brother make sure he's okay you know. So you're allowed to have these conversations but be very clear on what you're telling your children also the reason you should ask the school is you don't want to give your children conflicting information. You don't want to tell them something that the school's not tell, going to tell them. Now they're, they're listening to two different sets of adults telling them two different stories. So having your story straight is very important. Reminding your children that they are, for the most part, safe, and they should just keep their wits about them, that they should be alert. And keeping an ear and eye out for their anxiety, knowing when to get them help, teaching them breathing strategies, teaching, teaching them how to journal, teaching them how to use art as a form of therapy, teaching them to talk to adults, including their parents openly and candidly, is very important, but you first have to establish a mean of communicating with them. You first have to establish open, unguarded, unbiased, um, non-judgmental communication, which is a lot harder than any of us think.
1: Well, and I think encouraging parents to go towards a tough conversation rather than, as you said, stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away or hoping that the school will somehow talk about it but the other thing is that you've got a lot of kids are talking to other kids and you could have a kid with high anxiety that all of a sudden passes that on to your child which even makes it more critical to have that open conversation we're going to take another quick break and then when we come back i know that you had talked a little bit about um i guess there's this feeling that we haven't talked about that tragedy happens and it's okay to celebrate good things amongst tragedy and not feel guilty for it. And with that, we will be right back. Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Dr. Sunam Hafiz. She is uh, lives in New York City. She has two twins she's talked about. She's a neuropsychologist. And one of the things that I think is very important to talk about is what's happening in the world, but also that there are great things happening in the world too. And to be able to have that compassion for people, but yet to be able to celebrate the good things in your lives and to look for what's right, not necessarily always what's wrong. How do you feel about that?
0: It's very important. I mean, I am a big fan of celebrating the small wins and victories because you got to take them when you get them. You have to celebrate every little thing because you have no idea what's going to come tomorrow. Honestly, life is really made up of much smaller wins and even losses than big ones. And if you don't take them in stride, then you never really know how to celebrate or grieve properly, right? So it's it's all about practice. And in doing that, what's what's really important, if you do that as parents, you'll teach your kids how to enjoy this as well. And when we're talking about, you know, mental health, the majority of us adults were raised by parents who maybe we're not so comfortable talking about their feelings. And they were raised by parents who were even less comfortable talking about their feelings. You know, every generation thinks that they've got the right answer. And every new generation says, you know, you didn't, you really screwed up and you really screwed me up. So I think it's very important for parents today to first work through their own stuff and learn or get to a point of, okay, I can own my own stuff and still be there as a parent for my child non-judgmentally. Yes, I've got my own hang-ups. Recognizing that is very important. But also when we talk about mental health, we're talking about the mental health collectively as a society. These people, even these children who pick up arms, are disturbed. They did not get the help when they needed it. Someone saw the signs and ignored them. No one just got up and picked up a gun, walked into a school or a movie theater. There were signs. Someone just didn't think to say anything. Someone just thought that's not my business. Oh, my kid's just being a kid. So he's withdrawn. So he's just started dressing all in black. So he's just, you know, started spending a lot of, you know, time in his room writing for all you know is a manifesto, right? So when you're aware and connected to your children, it's not just for good stuff. You're also connected to them for all the bad stuff that may be happening right under your nose and you have no
1: idea. You and know getting anything. them to tell you, getting them to share what they yeah. see and feel comfortable that you're going to hear them and not just blow it off, but that you're going to hear your child if they say, you know, my friend Susie said this. Right. You know, we we have a lot of research on what
0: we know as uh, serial killers, for instance. You know, we know that we've isolated even a gene called the Mg, not that it that signifies or defines serial killers. But people who engage in mass shootings are not necessarily they're not serial killers they are not people who are necessarily vindictive or you know um or people who are um looking for a high they are usually disturbed individuals that really just kept slipping through the cracks whether they dropped out of school whether they stopped hanging out with friends whether they stopped coming to the family dinner table whether they stopped talking whether they started playing video games you know for 22 23 hours on end, you know, playing Fortnite and aggressive, violent games. And no one thought, hey, this isn't okay. I should talk to someone, I need to make sure my kid gets some help. No one went from being a healthy, well adjusted, uh, you know, happy, but high functioning individual to picking up a gun and walking into a building full of kids the next day. It, there was a gradual decline and someone somewhere dropped the ball. And that usually that someone somewhere is usually a parent, a teacher, a close friend, a neighbor, someone who saw something just didn't think to say anything. The FBI gets a lot of calls about people. You know, they do. Um, I remember this one case. And again, I might've been the Connecticut case, I, the Sandy Hook maybe. The FBI had gone to this family's home. The The boy who later unleashed his fury had a home full of firearms and ammunition, but they were denied entry because I think they didn't have the right warrants. You know, um, there are some states and cities that have uh, laws about if they hear something, they can take the gun away from the home and from the, even the individuals if there's a child who's disturbed. Uh, I forget the name where it is. And I, I want to say there was an article in the New York Times about Suffolk County in New York City, in New York, Suffolk County is part of Long Island, where the incidents have gone significantly down since the law was enacted. Where if you report something and there's something going on, there's a certain amount of time the firearm is taken away. If they, if someone's made a, a comment about Sue, so I think it was more about suicide. Um, if someone's reported, you know, um, depressed or angry or self harm thoughts, by removing the gun. You can have all the thoughts in the world, you no longer have the, the means. So it, this is not even about taking guns away, this is protecting you from yourself. You know, guns don't just turn on other people, they turn more often than not on people themselves. So, so there's a lot going on in America right now, you know, with suicide rates, uh, thoughts of suicide higher than we've ever seen in teenage girls, even more so than boys, um, and the same suicidality that girls may be internalizing is the homicidality that the boys may be externalizing? Because so far we haven't really seen—at least I can't think of—in recent times a, a female who's gone and you know been been the mm-hmm. uh, the who's been the perpetrator in any of these shootings. So, you know, looking out for that—that that, that's a profile, right? Looking out for some of these signs, both from a mental health and, uh, standpoint for your own children, and even as a protective measure. Is, is really all we've got. Besides gun control, which doesn't seem to be happening, this is a big part of the problem.
1: And for parents who are fearful and they are experiencing anxiety, there are, there are groups out there where they can get help, psychological help. And if they say, I don't have the finances, I don't have the resources, there are places I know that I see come up all the time on Facebook and different things where you can call in and you can talk to different people. Well, you know we we've
0: established um, we've established a, a a hotline and and a, a direct like a three letter number. I want to I want to I wanna say it's a nine nine
1: nine,
0: but you can call for mental health help. Um, there are always resources. I think they need to be. They need to be public announcements on a daily basis on TV. I think there needs the government needs to put these on every platform, whether it's Instagram, Facebook. You know, there's free help available. One of the things that I hear the most in New York City, you know, has always been one of the richest cities when it comes to mental health professionals, right? We, we what back in the day when in the eighties, nineties, where the rest of America wasn't going to therapy, New York was known for. Oh, everyone has a therapist. You remember those Woody Allen movies, right? <laughs> yes. So I'm I'm I really date myself when I when I say things like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> remember the time where I used to be like, "Why are we so unique that everyone has a therapist?" So, but you know, now the, the rest of the country is caught on, and we don't. You're right. There there isn't that much stigma with therapy. People are concerned about wellness. People don't want to age like their parents. So I think the government, you know, much like the police reform and the police um, evaluations that I talk about. The same thing with having a standardized federal system of police uh, gun safety in schools. I think mental health needs to also be, you know, funded a certain way. I think there needs to be open access to it. I can tell you, I'm a, I'm a for-profit, and but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a small business. And the majority of funding goes to these much bigger centers where the real help belongs with people like my practice or other small practitioners that actually have access to their communities. So there's a lot that can be done. And I, you know, I don't know, maybe I I need a call from the president or someone where I can, you know, uh, express my my thoughts a lot more than just podcasts. And I wish I could.
1: Well, I think it's really important. And that's what Money Sense is all about is bringing information so people can make good choices and they can hear this. You know, you and I are having a conversation about this. And it's really to open up people's eyes and to give them this opportunity to say there's a different way or permission to be that person who does see something going on and says, you know, I can be part of this solution by talking to someone. And it's like, who do they talk to? Do they go to the school? Do you know, nobody wants to go to the police department. Nobody wants to do these things. But I think, you know, finding that person that they can share that information with is, is really important. Yeah. My guest today is Dr. Sonan Hafiz and she is in New York city. She's a neuropsychologist. She has two children that she loves and worries about and has sort of developed this opportunity to talk to parents about opening up that door and really having that conversation. You know, you've got that big elephant in the room, take it, one bite at a time, but developing that trust and developing that relationship within your community, your school, your children, your family, I think is critical to being able to be part of the part of the process that resolves some of these issues that are happening in our country. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye.